The following recording is offered by the Village Zendo. For more information, please visit villagezendo.org. It's nice to see the Village Zendo in operation in my little window. Hello, everyone. It's really great that that's working. All of you who put together the uh, virtual and, and real Zendo. It's amazing. I'm really pleased. Um, my name is Musho, and I'm a senior student here at the Village Zendo, and also here in Catskill, New York, where I live. And uh, I'm the leader of the Catskill Zen Circle here. Um, let's see. Did you know that each one of us and all beings are glistening multicolored jewels? Yeah, we are. And that each one of these jewels is a node in a gigantic, infinite, time and space spanning net? Yeah, it is. And that each one of the jewels is cut with a thousand facets that reflect all the facets of each and every one of the other jewels? It's true. Now, this is a very old and very accurate description of reality called Indra's net. And I have two examples for you of how Indra's net actually functions. First of all, our beloved Sensei Miyoko Terrasman has been given the title of Roshi. After years of study and years of heartfelt and deeply personal teaching, she well deserves this new role. So thank you, Miyoko Roshi, for your practice. We need more Zen Roshis in this world. And we need more Zen Roshis like Miyoko. So Indra's net vibrates with gratitude and happiness. Second example, our beloved senior student Yuka Tarka died on April 18th. After years of Zen study and years of courage and humor, even as she struggled with physical pain, she worked tirelessly to awaken all beings. She really did. We will deeply miss our brilliant, fun, and continually caring friend. So Indra's net vibrates with sadness and loss. I wanna add one more. How about Fusho Rice, our senior student who is now a student teacher? Congratulations to her. And again, Indra's net vibrates with gratitude and happiness. My talk tonight is called Putin versus Buddha and the Four Noble Truths. So I'm going to start with a brief and superficial review of what is basically the very first uh, and most well-known teaching of the historic Buddha Shakyamuni. Of course, I'm not a scholar in any way, but I am a follower of Buddha's teachings. 
And I've been helped with my understanding of the Four Noble Truths by a slim paperback book titled What the Buddha Taught by Walpola Rahula. I always thought that was a great name. Um, Walpola Rahula was a Sri Lankan Buddhist monk, and he was a professor of history and religions at Northwestern University. It's a great book. It's very clearly written. Um, I recommend it. So the first noble truth, as I said, is, is probably the most famous and most quoted, but I think also the most misunderstood. The ancient writings translate the first noble truth as the truth of suffering, as if the Buddha was pointing out that all of existence was suffering. But you know, the suffering in this world is obvious. And according to Walpola Rahula, what the Buddha was really saying is that all is impermanent. Everything comes to an end. And this is the first noble truth. I think that many people discover the first noble truth on their own without the help of Buddha or Walpola Rahula. They feel the psychological and, phys and physical weight of the seemingly endless pain, tragedy, and loss in this world. The tragedy and loss that's around us and within us. And they can feel that there is no hope. This is really sad because if they knew the three other truths, they could be saved from this hopelessness that can manifest as despair or nihilism. Impermanence is very real and it's very difficult to accept. The second noble truth points out the cause of suffering. According to the second noble truth, suffering is caused by clinging. In a world of impermanence, there is nothing to cling to, yet we try endlessly to hold on. And according to Shakyamuni, this is the cause of suffering. As I was writing this, I was going to list some examples of the different things that we cling to. But as I thought about it, we pretty much cling to everything. Instead of listing examples of clinging in the big picture world, I'll give you some examples from the small picture world of myself. Um, basically, I cling to comfort and I work really hard <laughs> to make sure that happens. Um, I cling to peaceful and happy experiences, and of course, I don't want those to end. I cling to aversion of unpleasant experiences, and even when the unpleasant experiences end, I still cling to the aversion. <laughs> it doesn't end. I continually cling to all kinds of things in my life, and um, today, um, my studio, the building where my studio is, I'm an artist, if you don't know me. Um, the studio is, the building is having some renovations. So I had to move every single thing in my studio, every box of art supply and everything that I've saved, um, all the tools and equipment and just everything. And there's just so much stuff in there that I'm just clinging to and I believe in some sort of fantasy that these things are gonna become 
artworks or I'm going to sell them or I don't know what these dreams are really are that I have for these things, but I keep them. And um, it's really hard to let go. Um, you know, we, we cling for our desires for small things, for big things, for more things, for less things, and the list goes on and on. There's just so much clinging. And it's not hard to see how that clinging causes suffering in our lives. So the third noble truth is the truth of the end of suffering. And this is the best, most beautiful, most hopeful, most helpful, positive, inspiring, kindness, kindest, and most radical of the four, in my opinion. The Buddha said by ending clinging, we put an end to suffering and enter nirvana. Wow, it's so great. And what a relief. Um, but the problem for me is, and for all of us, I think is, who can even imagine a world without suffering? And who can imagine a world without clinging? It's really difficult to see the world in that way. I think that even if you catch the slightest passing split second of thought on the possibility of the third noble truth, you are actually closer to the end of clinging and so the end of suffering. Just for that moment, to realize what the world might be like without clinging and so ending suffering. The fourth noble truth is the Eightfold Path. And it is the way we realize and live our daily lives fully aware of the first three truths. Shakyamuni was a very practical teacher he knew it was going to be difficult and nearly impossible for us to understand and then embody the first three without some kind of clear, detailed instruction. So the fourth noble truth is an instruction, and it's called the Eightfold Path. One impression I have of the Eightfold Path is that it's like an ancient PowerPoint presentation a PowerPoint presentation that's inspiring, fascinating, and full of wisdom. But when the lights turn on and you get home and look at your notes, you have no idea what to do. It would be difficult in this short talk to go through each one of the eight, eight points of the eightfold path in depth, but here is a very inadequate description of each one with a little bit of help from Walpola Rahula. So number one is right understanding. And that is to promote, promote understanding of things as they are, as shown in the first four noble truths, first three noble truths. So to promote an understanding of things as they are, things as they are as described by the first three noble truths, it's pretty simple and beautiful. Number two is right thought, to promote thoughts of selflessness, love, and nonviolence. Number three, right speech, to promote language that is kind, respectful, honest, and pleasant. Number four, right action, to promote moral, honorable, and peaceful conduct. Number five is right livelihood, 
to promote ethical professions that avoid harming others. Number six, right effort, to promote energetic, wholesome states of mind. Number seven, right mindfulness, to promote a diligent awareness of ideas, thoughts, and conceptions. And finally, right concentration, number eight, to promote meditation and awareness of all aspects of the mind. That's a lot to promote, and it's a lot to do, and it's a real challenge. But like everything else in Buddhism, all the steps in the path are interconnected, so that if you were to set your will to one of them, the others would naturally open and become doable. Excuse me. One of my favorites that I want to mention is number five, right livelihood. Uh, an example would be if you worked in a handgun factory and you decided to follow the eightfold path, right? You would see that although you need to work to get paid to support your life and your family, the outcome of your job making handguns would be an incredibly, would be a way to bring harm to those who use your products and possibly harm to your life and family. So naturally you would quit and find a less harmful occupation. Now I know that is an incredibly simplistic example, but I think even a fleeting moment of looking at your occupation, whatever it is, through the view of the Eightfold Path would bring about subtle and positive change. The Four Noble Truths are meant as tools and guidance, and we try to understand ourselves and make our world better, uh, our world better for everyone. Because I'm a Zen student, I have to mention the power of number eight, right concentration which for 1,000 years we have expressed as meditation in the Zen tradition. The Zen masters of the past and present are all well aware of the four, four noble truths and have chosen meditation as the formal and best way to realize the first three and accomplish the fourth. In meditation, we have time to contemplate the truth of our lives, see our thoughts and actions in context, and embody the teachings the best we can. Meditation is the hard and necessary work of the Four Noble Truths. So what about Vladimir Putin? I'm getting back to the title of my talk. Of course, I don't know him personally or have much understanding of the karma and life experiences that brought him to where he is. As we were reminded on Sunday's talk by Reverend Gyoke Yokoyama, Buddhists on the Bodhisattva path should have compassion even for those they have seen as enemies. In the case of Mr. Putin's recent murderous behavior, it is very difficult for me and many people to have compassion for him. Still, he is a human being and subject to causes and conditions, just like all of us. 
After reviewing the Four Noble Truths and thinking about the war in Ukraine and the behavior of Vladimir Putin, it seems to me he embodies the exact opposite of the Buddha's teaching. I would call the teaching of Buddha the Four Horrible Delusions. And here's a brief description of the Four Horrible Delusions. Number one, the delusion of permanence. All things last forever, especially nations, national pride, and the traditions of the majority. Loyalty to country, class, and clan lasts forever, even after death. Number two, the delusion of the cause of suffering. Suffering is caused by corrupt, dishonest people from outside countries and also anyone with conflicting cultural views. Number three, the delusion of the end of suffering. Suffering ends when the enemies of the state have been subdued or extinguished and cultural purity pervades everywhere. Number four is the delusional eightfold path. And I will spare you the darkness of the opposite intentions of every single one of the eightfold path. Uh, but it might suffice to say lies, manipulation, suppression of speech would all be encouraged in the fight for domination. Thoughtfulness of any form would be discouraged. It's actually unfair to single out Mr. Putin. Leaders across the world throughout history have followed the four horrible delusions, notably in Europe and Japan in World War II, and including many of our own leaders in the US, even recently. Maybe we should even consider if there's any of the four horrible delusions in our own minds even subtly, and work towards transforming them into the right thought of the Buddha way. So who wins the fight between Puda, Putin? <laughs> Let me try that again. So who wins the fight between Putin and Buddha? It seems to me the Putin way has recently gained in popularity across the globe. I'm afraid he may win some of the current battles and could escalate the war in unknown and terrifying ways. I hope I'm wrong. But in the long run of time, the Buddha will triumph. Shakyamuni's plan will win because it is being earnestly carried on by practitioners like us who study and follow the Four Noble Truths the best we can. While we wish and hope the clinging and suffering will end soon, we must be in it for the long haul. 2,500 years have passed since Shakyamuni brought us his teaching. At that scale, what is, what is another hundred or even a thousand years? We fight this battle with peace, kindness, and sensitivity as our only defense. We work hard at understanding ourselves, our karma, and the causes and conditions around us. We know that everything ends. Clinging causes suffering. Suffering can end, and there is a way forward. 
That's my talk for tonight. Thank you very much for listening.